continue with what we have been doing for a while here, and and that is to um, to do some sermonettes. Uh, <clears throat> we're not going to continue this forever, uh, but I, I, I love the sermonette idea. That is to say, and people that not, don't normally come over here, then you understand where I'm coming, where we're coming from. That I can talk to my people more often about different things than just once in a while. Um, if uh, we're talking about grace, and I preach again on grace in six months, then, okay, once every six months you hear about grace, that, that is not often enough. So I like to do sermonettes that, uh, so we can talk about different things. The, to this morning we're going to talk about two uh, subjects, two topics, so to speak. Uh, sometimes we go verse by verse. When we go through a book, uh, you can read everything and hear everything in context of the, the content of, of, of the book, uh, whether it's Colossians or whichever one it is. And, and then, but in the sermonettes, we can talk about different things that I feel like that the Lord wants me to talk to you about. So, for example, in the last few weeks, I've talked to you uh, every time on marriage, husband and wife relationships. Yes? And so, uh, but briefly, because I want to I wanna, uh, inspire you and motivate you, there's a difference. Motivating is me coming from the outside and trying to uh, do something for you, inspire you. So I hope to deposit something on the inside of you that from the inside of you it can come f- out. So to both to inspire you and to motivate you to to have better relationships between husband and wife. And my dear brothers and sisters, I tell you that this is a huge need in the body of Christ. Huge. Not only in Corpus Christi, not only in Texas, not only in the United States, all over the world. Uh, as you well know, in the fall, Sybil and I and our two sons went to my home country of Suriname. I'm still ministering to couples in Suriname, long distance. Uh, and it is so necessary. And uh, one of the couples that we ministered to, we recently took a trip to Grapevine and uh, to do a wedding. And uh, there were people that needed ministry along the way, so we intentionally, we purposed to, to stop along the way and minister to these folks that needed a little bit of help. And so, thank God, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't help anybody. Unless the Holy Spirit uh, works through me, then this is a, a, a thing that is in vain. Um, but so we gave uh, a little book, and she texted me back and said, I love your book. It is, it is my language. It is simple. And, but but she, I think maybe she, she wanted to make me feel a little bit better. She says, but it's deep. Well, I don't know if it's deep. It is simple. I want it to be simple. Because the gospel, what God wants us to know, is not complicated. It is only complicated because the flesh... Is a hindrance. Amen. And wants to hinder what God wants to do. And so in the flesh, marriage is difficult. Amen. But in the spirit, it is not that difficult. <laughs> it is no rocket science. We just need to bypass, forego the flesh and be in the spirit. So, what I want to talk to you about this morning, it comes out of 1 Peter 3, 7, where it says that... Uh, that husbands should treat their wives like the weaker vessel. Um, and I, I want to say up front that the wife is not the weaker vessel. Amen. We should treat her like the weaker vessel. It's a big difference, right? She is maybe in many cases the stronger vessel, right? In, 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 in our marriage, Sybil in many areas is the stronger vessel. And I am in other areas the stronger vessel. But either way, I am accountable to God as to what happens in our family. Right? 
just because I'm weak in some areas doesn't uh, give me an excuse not to be in, 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 in charge and, and be uh, accountable to God for it. Ultimately, the, you know, what I, what I say, the buck stops here. So, now, how, in, in the Dutch Bible, it, my, which is my original language, uh, the weaker vessel it has a funny translation. Uh, interesting. It calls it the uh, uh, brittle china. Or in Dutch, bros fatwerk. Brittle china. So how do you treat brittle china? Don't you, yeah? Hey, say, say it again. Carefully, don't you treat, okay? The way you treat it is, is that you are so careful not to hurt this valuable china. But I feel like, and this is me, but, but I have experience in this thing, although it is limited, I feel like that as husbands often, we are not being careful with our wives in the way uh, that we treat them. Uh, we are sometimes casual concerning her feelings, insensitive and inconsiderate in many ways, instead of treating her like brittle china and be so careful with her. And we treat her honorably. People, uh, you know, they say this is the china cabinet. It's on display. It has a place of honor in the home. And so I want to say to husbands, your wife should take a place of honor. And you should introduce her to many other people. And you should speak highly of her with other people around. Especially with the opposite sex. Don't you criticize your wife in front of the opposite sex. That's bad signals. Bad signals. When somebody asks me how is Sybil, I say she's the best part of my life. Well, that's not just to say it. That's true. (laughs) She is the best part of my life. And I want to honor her in every way that I can. And... Uh, the other way I wanna, want you to look at, at your wife is that she's very valuable. Very valuable. Sybil is the one, you know, I've been a tennis pro all my, most of my adult life, and, you know, when you do eight hours in the sun and in the heat, and sometimes in the wind, you get a little bit tired. So when the kids were small, she is pretty much the one that got up with them in the middle of the night. She's not only valuable to me, but she was the one that was valuable to the kids. No wonder that when my grandchildren were small and I heard a noise in the bedroom and I would go and I pick them up and, you know, hey, and I love the dead weight. (laughs) They're just hanging on you like, oh, that feels so good. But before too long, they say, where is Omi? Hey, where is Omi? I'm here, okay? Because she's so valuable, not only to our children, but even to our grandchildren. What a glorious thing. So, I just want to inspire you a little bit this morning uh, about husbands to teach, how to treat your wife. And uh, wife, you don't have to take advantage of that uh, in a negative sense. You can take advantage of it in a positive sense. But but, um, uh, pay close attention. To her needs. Now, the other thing that we're going to talk about is um, discipleship today. Discipleship today. Um, let me give you a verse real quick. It is in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going through it pretty quick because I don't want to teach on that. I just want to point out to you that it is not I who live here any longer. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh is not meaning that I'm living a carnal fleshly life. He is saying that the life that I now live in this body This body here. I live by faith in the Son of God. So, He is alive in me, and I live through Him, or He lives through me, by faith. 
So don't take this verse and you say, okay, well, done deal, baby. Uh, but by faith, all this thing happens. And by faith, God will lift through me to share his life with other people. To share his words with other people. So, uh, like I said two weeks ago, don't listen to me. See what the Holy Spirit is saying and listen to him. Yes. So, we put on the screen Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We look at the King James Version and we look at the the NIV Version. Uh, They are similar, not exactly, but they say basically the same thing. And so, and Jesus came and spoke to them and he says, this is the New King James. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, he precedes 19 by 18 because he wants to assure us the very thing we just talked about a second ago, that all authority is given unto him. Not all authority minus 1%, not all authority minus 10%, not all authority minus 50%. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. All of it. And he says, on that basis, therefore, go and make disciples, the NIV says, or the King James says, go and, and make disciples. Oh, is that the NIV? No. New King James says, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and so on and so forth. So, as Baptists, uh, people have taken this verse, this, this, this section, 18 through 20, uh, uh, they have taken it as the verse that means that it is about evangelism. It is about what Baptists many times call witnessing so that other people might come into the body of Christ. That is true, but that is not the whole story. Since it talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, means that they are new converts, and they are going to be baptized. New converts need to be baptized, yes? Okay, so there's different philosophies about baptism. Um, some, in, in, in some uh, groups, uh, you get saved, then you grow a little bit, and then you prove uh, some fruit in your life, and then you get baptized. I'm not of that school, because in the scriptures I find that the, 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 the jailer uh, was immediately baptized, he and his family, and, I, and the Ethiopian eunuch was immediately baptized when there was water. So when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a candidate for baptism. But if somebody wants to wait till there is some fruit before baptism, hey, I have no problem with that. Okay? So, so that is what it's talking about in part of it. And the other part of it, it's talking about teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So now that somebody has become a believer, then now somebody needs to teach them the things that Jesus has taught. Yes? So, um, teaching. The NIV says, go make disciples, making disciples. My, my initial title was Discipleship. But I am changing it right now to making disciples. Because there's a vast difference between discipleship and making disciples. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. I first want to talk about the idea of teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word teaching is what I want to focus on here just a little bit. Uh, if we have the definition on, on teaching, uh, then 
that'd be good. Huh? Okay, so you see it over there, and you see that this is my definition. I always try to come up with a definition to, to help people understand sort of where I'm coming from and what I think that the scriptures are often, not always, but often saying when it talks about teaching. Uh, <clears throat> for the most part, when we say teaching, we are talking about a classroom session. People in the classroom. They go to school. They sit in the classroom. They go to the university. They sit in the classroom. They go to seminary. They sit in the classroom. Uh, they come to church. They sit in a classroom. Uh, they go to Sunday school. They sit in the classroom. It is all about somebody sharing information with somebody else. You know what? I wish I could. Evie, uh, Eva. She's, her name is Eva, but I call her Eva. Eva. So do I teach you tennis like that? I just tell you, hey, Eva, you come for a lesson. I give you a video set, a videotape. I tell your mom, well, this set is about $500. Uh, there's five videotapes. I say, go watch the videotape. And when you have watched them and you understand them a little bit, come back for another tennis lesson. Do I teach you like that? How do I teach you? And if you don't do it right, what do I do? Yes. And I keep telling you yes. And I, I, I demonstrate. I show you how to do it exactly. How old are you? She's eight years old. So I wish I could teach tennis like that. I'd make a ton of money. Didn't have to do anything. But set, put together a set of videos. And then I sell videos. But that is not how I teach her. Some, some tennis pros, they have a script, yes, and they, they put together a script, and then they teach every student according to that script. I don't teach like that. I have a student, then I write a script for that student. So... Teaching is not just about sharing information with people. That is, it, is, it is about that, but not just about that. It is important to share information so they can you know, mentally understand what is going on. They maybe have a visual or whatever, and, uh, and then they go do it. And then, how, let me ask you some more. We are so good. So I'd like to talk to you some more. So how... So after the lesson, then what do you have to do to get better for the next lesson? Practice. Practice. Now, okay. She had to say that, huh? Practice. <laughs> that makes many people feel bad because in Christian circles, they don't practice very often. <laughs> they just want to come here and listen. They just want to come and they say, you know, nice sermon. It's like you coming and you say, I say to you, nice lesson, or you say to me, nice lesson, pastor, or, 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 or coach, and you, you never practice. Now, let me ask you this question. How old are you? Eight years old. I mean, sometimes I forget. I'm just, I'm just, my mind, I'm 71 years old, you know what I'm saying? I'll be 72, 4th of July. Um. <laughs> the flags are not for me, the fireworks are not for me. So, where were we? She's eight years old. She's eight years old. <laughs> so, let me ask you this. If you don't practice, you think you'll make progress? Okay. If you just say to me, Coach, that was a nice lesson. See you next week. And then next week you show up, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. You think you'll make progress? I told you about my Uncle Herman. Do you remember my story about Uncle Herman? Uncle Herman, he was a chemical genius. He was so smart that he was not practical. He didn't even know how to drive a car. 
he rode a moped. And, but he was brilliant. And I <clears throat> was not that good in, in chemistry uh, because there were too many things to, to remember. The periodic system, <laughs> all these things you have to remember, and so on and so forth. So, but I would go for tutoring to my Uncle Herman. I said, he said, next to me over here, and he explained and pointed out in the book to me with a pen and a pencil and so on and so forth. And um, I understood everything he said. Then he gave me homework, like you should. You know, when you come for lessons, I give you homework, you have to practice, have a baby. Um, he gave me homework, but I understood it so well during the, the tutoring lesson that I thought, I got it. So I didn't do my homework. You know what homework is for? You think that the teachers don't like you, but the homework is so you practice. So you can practice your math. So that you can get better at math. So, but I didn't do, do my homework, and I come back to the next lesson. This went on for about a month. I think that after that month, he had enough of it. And he said to me, and my Uncle Herman, he talks funny. I'll try to imitate him a little bit. One of my aunts, if I wanted to make her laugh and just die laughing, I imitate my Uncle Herman. Uncle Herman, ha, 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 ha. Ah, she laughs. I loved Aunt Tante. Her name was Tante Ann. Auntie Ann. Tante Ann. And, uh, and he said to me, well... If I want to learn to play the guitar, it doesn't matter how many LPs I listen to and how many concerts I go to. I have to take the guitar in my own hand and practice the guitar. He didn't have to go any further. <laughs> I understand. I understood exactly what he was talking about. And he says to me, and if I want to learn chemistry, ha, 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 he said, I have to take the book and the pencil and the paper and make the problems to practice what I've been taught. Uncle Herman, I got it. But in the Christian church, my brothers and sisters, it is hardly ever about doing. It is almost always about hearing. So, I'm going to read you a, a little segment of what uh, uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Collerville, whatever, close to uh, Grapevine over there, what he wrote in one of the, the, the newspapers. Let me, I can't do it verbatim, so I, I'll just share it with you from over here. This is what he says. I'm coming back to, the, to that uh, definition in just a little bit. And he says, I'm going to find it. And he says this. His name is Craig Etheridge, pastor of First Baptist Church of Colleyville. He, he wrote this. It is not because he's a pastor of a Baptist church or, or, or whatever. I just like what he said, and I agree with what he says, because that is where I live. And he says, saying discipleship has become too broad a term. When we say the word discipleship, that's usually a broad bucket where everything about spiritual growth gets thrown into I'll talk to pastors and they'll say, we do discipleship. I preach. That's discipleship. We have worship. That's discipleship. Uh, we do Sunday school. That's discipleship. We do bath more. That's discipleship. We do man's breakfast. All of that is discipleship. And it is. But it is incomplete. So, that's why I changed the title of my sermon. Instead of discipleship, it is about making disciples. If Emma comes for a lesson and I tell her, tennis lesson. That's not enough. I need to be able to show her. It is up to me. Partly. That's why I, I'm going to explain the definition in just a little bit. It's up to me partly that she learns to play. 
if she is willing to play. If she's not willing, all the bets are off. But as a good coach, I will still try to inspire and motivate her because I know the benefits of tennis. It's a life, life, lifetime sport. You can play. I'm 71 years old. I can still play a little bit. I can't move very well, but I can still play a little bit. You know, I can hit the ball. And, and, and Pete, how old are you, Pete? 75. Been a tennis player all his life. Just recently had some heart surgery, so he, he's off the court for right now, but not, not too long. I know him. So, uh, it is up to me to find a way to form a tennis player in Eva. To find a way to make it happen for her. Maybe she's a visual learner, and so I have to show her many times. Maybe she just has to understand some things. I try to explain it best I can. I find a way to project to her how she can become a better player and make it happen. Or else I'm not worth what they're paying me. So, let me go to my definition. <laughs> okay, so this is, this is my definition. The extending and exchanging of information. And the process of formation by which a willing student does what a teacher requires and makes progress towards or exceeds his, the teacher, his or her goals. So there are a few items over there. <clears throat> the extending and exchanging of information. <clears throat> this is what we have been talking about a little bit. That is to say that if I'm going to teach Eva, I extend to her a certain amount of information that she will grasp with her mind and then try to do with her body. And then sometimes, maybe she sees something on television and then she, she tells me about that. And I say, oh, wow, that is good information. So there is an exchange there. Yes? But for the, most, for the most part, it is me extending it to her and there might be a bit of an exchange. And many times, the better the tennis player is, the better the student, the more exchange there might be. Are you with me? Okay? So that is the, that is the first step. The, the, the second step is uh, information. Okay? Okay? We, we, together is fine. It, it's fine. And then, then the word process. There is a process that takes place. No matter how good a coach I am, Eva will never be a top player in Texas, boom, just because I taught her a lesson or just because I taught her two lessons or three or 20. It takes, it's a long process to become a player. It takes a, it's a long process for someone to become a disciple. I'm going to jump a little bit that I'm coming back to this. Um, Both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. When someone is born, what needs to happen after the birth is more difficult and takes longer than what happens up to the birth or after, right after the birth. So let, let's talk about the physical birth. It takes a pregnancy. Somebody carries a baby for about nine months. And then it's time for to de deliver a baby. That happens over a period of, depending on how difficult the delivery is, a, a, a few hours or even a, maybe a couple of days. Uh, and then the baby is born and delivered. Boom! The first birth. This is the physical or natural birth. We know that is also a supernatural birth or a spiritual birth. When somebody hears the gospel and they believe, the Bible speaks, when they believe, they are born again. Now, that is a spiritual birth or a supernatural birth. And it might be some time before the person comes to actually believing. But once they believe, boom, 
in a moment, they become children of God. Yes? So, let us say Bronwyn, I just use an example, I know she's a believer, has been forever, and I've known her for how many years? 30 or 40 years. That's a pretty long time. I love Bronwyn. She worked, she, we have worked together for, for, for uh, about that time. And, uh, but let us say she was not a believer. And I preach a message over here, and she comes to believing. And then I give an invitation. If you want to receive Jesus Christ, come to the front. And then she comes to the front, and I pray with her. Now, let me ask you, when did she become a believer? When I prayed with her or before? The moment she believes. She comes to me just for me to check if she's believing the right stuff. But, so in a moment, she has become a believer. In a short time, somebody delivers a baby. But we all know that after you deliver the baby... It is a lifetime to make them come, become mature adults. Amen. When somebody, all right? Right. I'm glad we're agreeing. The same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Somebody comes to believe, then it takes a lifetime for them to mature, keep maturing, keep maturing to become more and more like Jesus. Amen. Now, that process, unless the Holy Spirit decides to do it that particular way, that he's going to take care of uh, 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 maturing a believer, maybe they are in a solitary confinement or something where he cannot talk to other people. But otherwise, he has designed it this way as, as to the church that one believer is going to spend time with this believer or one believer is going to spend time with two or three or four of these believers and, and, and teach them. And not only teach them the word of God for them to hear it and to understand it and for faith to be developed, but for faith to be developed for her to start doing it. My brothers and sisters, the doing part is what bothers me, that we don't do it. And I don't care where you're going to church, it seems like. It happens in pockets. But, but have I told us? Have I, how old are you? Ages. I just, just want to be sure. People sort of understand how old you are, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That an eight-year-old understands all that, right? Uh, as an eight-year-old told us that if we don't practice, we don't get better. And this is what I find in the body of Christ. We're not practicing, so we're not getting better. A guy comes for counseling, and he has some trouble with his wife, you know. And we're talking, and I say, well, brother, uh, I think, let me just give you an example. I think that your wife is very sensitive. Not in a negative way. But is it true that some people are more sensitive than other people? Amen. Okay. And then some people might be more sensitive because there's a history. And so therefore they're a little bit more sensitive. It doesn't matter. If the wife is sensitive, my instructions, my counsel, to the husband is, brother, and remember, I don't have a script. I have a student to whom I write a script. I don't have a set book that I teach out of. I speak to people, figure out what the Holy Spirit wants me to do, and I counsel on that basis. Amen. And I say to the brother, brother, then I start talking a little bit softer with him. I think, because often we meet in places like Barnes & Noble or something like that, you know, uh, 
Brother, I think you should be a whole lot more sensitive to your wife. The way you speak to her cannot be harsh. You cannot be snappy. You cannot be loud. You cannot be sensitive. Speak to her soft. Choose your words wisely and smartly the way you speak to her. A righteous man studied how to answer. Proverbs says. So, careful, sensitive, sensitive. Brother, if you do that, now, next week, I'm sorry, we're meeting once every other week. In two weeks, we'll meet again. I want to hear how, how things went. But I'm not going to want to hear it from you. I'm going to also want to hear it from your wife. And so, it's okay. It's okay, sister. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. Don't even be embarrassed about it. It's, 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 this is family time. It happens. Um, and see, there are young pastors <clears throat> that have energy. And then there are old pastors like me. Okay, I still got energy, okay? <laughs> but as an older pastor... Uh, you have certain advantages. Lily, come here for a second. This is my sister, Lily. I love Lily like crazy. Huh? Okay. I love Lily like crazy. And so, I, I'm not going to ask her how old she is, but she's a whole lot younger than I am. So, the way I relate to Lily is like a pastor to a sister. But... Not just a pastor who is her, her same age. So we are sort of like peers. And things might come across maybe a little bit flirty or otherwise. That, that, but at 71, I feel like I can relate to her like a father more than as a brother. And I feel like that's a huge advantage because I then when I, when, when I talk to Joe, then I can talk to you and say, hey, are things going okay? And I'm not feeling like you're betraying him because he's up, up, up to snuff that I'm talking to, to Lily as well. I want them to do well. It's not about him and her. It's about them. And I want them to be victorious in their marriage. Thank you. And if, if I'm not asking him to do some things, how are things going to change? How are things going to change? So it's just a lot about doing. So it is, it is here then. Where's, okay, here's the formation thing. Uh, it is about forming. The forming has to do with finding ways by the Holy Spirit to give counsel for them not only to understand, but for them to do. The next word is a willing student. If the student is not willing, there's not a whole bunch you can do. You can try to inspire them. You can try to inv- uh, uh, motivate them. If they're not willing, hey, you know what? I'm not spending a whole bunch of time with you. I'm serious. There's, uh, there's plenty of trouble. I-, I need to go talk to some other folks that, wanna, that want to, that are willing. Yes. So if somebody's willing... That is where the joy is. And it's not that I have to have so much joy. Because counseling, uh, 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 discipling is difficult anyway. Right? So there is some joy. There's some disappointments. There's some joy. There's some disappointments. There's more joy. There's some disappointments. There's more joy. Some disappointments. More joy. Praise the Lord. We have victory. But... If the student, if Eva comes to tennis lessons and she is not willing to learn, I will tell Lily, I don't think you should waste your money. Maybe she wants to swim or maybe, you know, whatever. But she likes tennis. She likes tennis. She likes tennis. So, uh, so, but, so if somebody comes and they, they come and, and, and they want to do better and I'm going to disciple, mentor, uh, teach, 
uh, council, whatever, whatever you want to do. There, there's not exactly the same, but there's plenty of overlap in, in these different things. Uh, if they are not willing to do, I, I, I don't see how we're going to make a lot of progress. Uh, willing student. Uh, next. Does what a teacher requires. Okay? The reason why she's coming to tennis lessons, because she thinks I can teach her tennis. And if she thinks she already knows it, I'm thinking, you're at the wrong place, baby. <laughs> I already know it. Okay, what are you doing here? So I have some requirements if I'm going to teach her, right? That, okay, so when guys come and they, they want counsel, there are some requirements. There's some things you're going to have to do. The things that I'm asking you to do, you have to do them. Otherwise, you have to go and get counsel from somebody else. If you're not going, uh, uh, doctor, uh, I have some pain. Uh, oh, uh, you have an infection. Here, I prescribe you something. Doctor, I'm not going to take it. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So, okay, the next word is makes progress. That is how a student is going to make progress. If the student is doing what the teachers ask them to do, that is the normal way of people making progress. Right? I mean, you can come to all the tennis lessons you want. You can come to all the, the voice lessons you want. You can come to all the piano lessons that you want, guitar lessons, or chemistry lessons. If you're not doing what is required, you never get better at it. Oh, maybe a little bit better. So next week I'll teach you lesson 1A instead of lesson 1. Makes progress, okay. And then, or exceeds, so they make progress toward a goal, or maybe they exceed the goal that the teacher had set for them. Okay? That's not the ultimate goal necessarily. That is just a goal, maybe a short-term goal. And then maybe another short-term goal. Another short-term, the, the teacher sets the goals. Or exceeds the goals that the teacher put there. That I say it right? Yeah. So, now, so the extending and exchanging of information and the process of formation by which a willing student does what a teacher requires and makes progress towards or exceeds his or her goals. So, there are three, thing, three things I want you to remember concerning teaching. That is, uh, now I'm coming back to the, to, to the church. Explaining the scriptures and the stories and the Greek and the Hebrew is super important. But it's insufficient in teaching all by itself. When the scriptures are asking, and not all the scriptures are asking us to do something. Some of the scriptures are asking us to believe something. Okay, but when the scriptures are asking us to do something... We ought to do it. Otherwise, we're simply disobedient. There's no ifs and buts about it. If the Lord is asking you to do something and you don't do it, is that not disobedience? It'd be disobedience when I ask Eva to do something. But I'm not the Lord. I'm just a coach. So she can or not. But when the Lord is asking us to do something, and we're not doing it, that is disobedience. And my dear brothers and sisters, there is hardly victory in disobedience. If you want to live a victorious life, then you are obedient to what the Lord is saying. So, the explaining of the scriptures, the stories, the Greek, the Hebrew, super important, super important, without which you don't even know what direction to take. But it's insufficient uh, when a student is, until the student starts doing what has been instructed him or her. Let me see where we are. Secondly, Secondly, only when a willing student has learned can it be said that he or she had been taught. Let me say it again. Only when a willing student has learned can it be said that a student had been taught. Otherwise, the student had just been shared information with, but not been taught. 
teaching implies that somebody learned. Or not, if not specifically means that somebody learned. Thirdly, teaching is not just telling. Teaching is showing as well. Jesus says about us that we are the light of the world. The light of the world. Uh, So, now, when you say this to an unbeliever, yes, you say, well, Jesus says we're the light of the world. And uh, he says, okay, the light of the world. I don't see a light. I don't see a light. See, when they see the light, end of discussion. End of discussion, my brothers and sisters, when they see the light. They know exactly what it means. When they have dealt with you, And you have seen the light of God in you, coming through you. When Jesus says, out of their bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Living water. There's not any kind of water. When they have been dealing with you, and you fill their cup over and over and over and over again, there is no discussion about the fact that there's living water coming out of you. Our problem is, It seems like, you know, our living water is like, where do I have something? Like a drip. Rivers. So, what we need to do then in disciple making, it is not just about discipleship. It It is an intentional effort from one brother or sister to another to make them to become more like Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that is the design that God has for the church. Go ye therefore, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've told you. Go teach them to do it. Thy will be done On earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done, 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 doing. It is, so sometimes I think, you know what? We do church in a funny way. Not not completely wrong, but but, but wrong in many ways. Or or, or short, or or, or short-sighted, or not complete. Because in most churches, let me ask you. When people are asking you, how is your church doing? What do they mean? How many people are coming? Say it again. How many people show? It is, it's about attendance. It's not about attendance. Attendance is important. It's not just about attendance. We need people to come. They, 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 need, they need to come. They need to grow. They, you know, and they need to support what is, what is the effort over here. But it's not just about attendance. It's, if it's about attendance, if it's about numbers, we're looking at the wrong thing. We are off balance. And we're looking at things and circumstances wrongly, secularly, if we're not careful, if we're going by numbers. Numbers are important. I wish we had more numbers here. But it's not about numbers with me. It is about a sister and a brother walking in victory. How can I spend time? How can I invest myself in someone or several someones so that they might walk more? like Jesus would have them walk. Uh, it, is, it is not about buildings. Buildings are important. Yes? You like to have air conditioning. Nice building. Many people. Well, can God even move when there's less than 100 people here? Can God even move when the place is not painted? Well, in Kenya, God moves under trees. 
and they don't drive their car to the tree. They walk for hours. No wonder they want to they stay for a while. <laughs> it took them a long time to get there. I know I've been there. I've talked with them. Hours to go to meet with brothers and sisters under a tree. And the Spirit of God moves. Well, I love you. Um, but, you know, okay, well, you say, well, well, Kenny, you're teaching with so much passion and so, so what do you do? Oh, that's a legitimate question. <laughs> right? Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sort of. Uh, but I, I want, I want to inspire people to invest in other people's lives. What part of the problem is often is that people, they don't feel adequate or trained to, you don't have to be feel adequate or trained. Let me tell you, you might be the best candidate if you feel inadequate. Because Paul says that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Hey, listen, when you, when you feel inadequate, you're going to rely more on God than the guy that feels so adequate because oh, he got everything going. Not necessarily so. The guy that has the education, he might also live around the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, it's one thing. If, if you don't feel adequate in, in counseling, you're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. So it is not that you have to be perfect counselor. It is that you show interest in a brother and sister. Many times, that helps them over some hump. Then you deliver her to another sister. That can help them over another hump. Just the, the love that you show for a person is a bunch of counsel in itself. So, I meet with several guys to mentor or to disciple them, to make disciples. I meet with several guys. And I meet with several young men. And I meet with people no matter what. You know, when was it uh, that I got a, a text over here? Was that about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago? I got a text after the morning practice. I got a text from somebody, uh, an ex-tennis student of mine, played for, a, for King High School. We have some trouble, husband and wife. And I was praying, and the Lord told me to call you. I'm nobody special. I'm very ordinary and plain, and that's, that's just the way it is. But she called me. So if God tells you to call me, God will give me the wherewithal to minister to the sister, yes, and to this couple. Yes, I'm, I'm, why, why is she calling me? For a nice conversation? Uh, so um, she calls, and uh, the husband finds himself in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bad place. So we were going to do a wedding in Grapevine, yes. And so it was a little bit out of the way, but we purposed that we would meet with them. Sybil and I would meet with the couple. They need help. They're brothers and sisters. I got a call. I got to go. So we texted a little bit, called a little bit, and then we decided it was most profitable if I just met with him instead of the couple's. And as it turned out, it was the best thing to do. He was in a bad place. I felt like after we talked for a couple of hours that it was a good meeting. Yeah, you have the feeling sometimes? It was a good meeting. And uh, she texted me that it was a good meeting. He said, he said it was a good meeting. We talked. Um, that was... Wednesday night, on the way to the, 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 the wedding, which was uh, Thursday was the rehearsal, and fr- I mean, Friday was the rehearsal, and Saturday uh, at 1 o'clock, the wedding. So, Sunday night, we are at Sybil's parents, and I get a text from him. Uh, 
No, I, I texted him, hey, are things all right? You know, people know exactly what I mean when I say, things all right? How are you doing? Hope things are well. And he says, hey, uh, uh, you, have any, you have a few seconds to talk? Of course I have a few seconds to talk. <laughs> You're my brother. <laughs> Who needs some encouragement? So uh, he called me, and he says, you won't believe this. Uh, my wife and I, we spent some time together this weekend. They were, they were separated. He slept in his office. She slept at the house. And we had such a good time together. We laughed. We talked about old times. We talked without fighting. We talked without raising our voices or, 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 or sharp or, 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 or bemeaning and belittling things. And we went to the store to buy some things together. And when we checked out, the cashier says, you guys sure look so happy together. You look so connected. And he says, L-O-L. You know what that means? Laughing out loud. <laughs> he says, I, and I said, I said, I wrote, I, I wrote back to him. I say, what the cashier did, God, God showed her in prophecy about your life. Because I told you the same words, that God has something big in mind for you, like he has for most Christian couples, because he wants a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ and his love for the church here on earth between a husband and a wife. But things are going better. Hallelujah. Tony, where are you? Are you here, Tony? Come here, Tony. Don't hug me, Tony. You know what happened when he hugged somebody? He broke somebody's rib. I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling on you a little bit. So we tried to meet with a couple of other young, young men. I call them the young men of God. Uh, we're trying to meet uh, every other week. It doesn't always happen like that because of a basketball game or whatever else sometimes. Uh, every other week to meet together for about an hour and a half to get an understanding of things that I want them to understand and things to do or not to do, right? Uh, where's that? This thing can be a blessing or a curse. So I try to keep them from it being a curse because I want to give them instruction on how to use that thing for it to be a blessing rather than a curse. Yes? Yes. Thank you. Um, so here's a young man of God that uh, we're trying to work with and, and see how to help him. His parents work with him. And obviously, your first, most important disciples are your own children. You should be their discipler. You should make disciples out of them. But sometimes, somebody else should, should be helping, right? Um, sometimes, the children don't listen that well to their parents, uh, and then, praise God, there's somebody in the church that steps up. I mean, that's has nothing to do with me. I, I, I'm praising God for a lady that stepped up because our daughter was rebelling for a while. And then, but she trusted this lady. Her name was Susan. You don't know her, so you don't have to. I can, I can mention her name instead of the lady. Uh, her, her name was Susan. She was a prayer warrior. And we delighted in the fact that she was the one that Micah would call. And she felt like she was in a little bit of trouble or whatever. So, uh, are you in trouble, brother? No. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I love Tony and I love the other guys as well. Amen. And, and, and so, and, and, uh, Peter and Edna, this is what they do. They, 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 you know, people have youth groups and they want to brag about their 150 kids that are in the youth group and they can take care of the kids. I told our folks, hey. We need to keep it small enough that we can take care of the people. It is hard enough being able to take care of the people in the size of the thing. It's hard enough. Let alone 150 people that are running around crazy and then you can't. Where is so-and-so? Oh, he stepped out. What is he doing out there? <laughs> you know, keep track of these people. And Peter and Anna do a fantastic job and spend the time with them that is required to teach them and instruct them the things to do, the things to be careful with, the things not to do. In the Christian life. Thank you, my brother. Well, there's much more to say. Making disciples. I hope that I have at least 
uh, inspired you a little bit to, to think about taking a younger Christian under your wings and spending time. When you are taking a minor under your wing, you have to use great wisdom. So let us say, Tony, I meet with Tony, he and I alone, right? Then we meet at Barnes & Noble, right? Kara, uh, his mom, will deliver him at Barnes & Noble. We're spending an hour together, and then she'll pick him up and take him home. I'm not driving him over there. I'm not taking him home or whatever, okay? Use great wisdom when it comes to, to, to minors and when it comes to the opposite sex. Great wisdom. I feel like I played a tennis match. <laughs> Let's pray.